Kids play hide-and-seek with the expectation that sooner or later, those who hide will be discovered. God does not play this game with human beings. When He hides Himself, He can't be found, not even by the most clever scientific methods. God hides Himself so as not to be found by us. Yet in His hiddenness, He reveals Himself to us so that we recognize Him as our Savior. Does that sound contradictory? He's hidden, yet He reveals Himself? That's what the prophet Isaiah meant when he called the Savior of Israel the Lord who hides Himself. You can see that in Isaiah 45, verse 15. So after His resurrection, Jesus kept the disciples on the Emmaus road He kept them from recognizing him until he revealed himself. This was anything but a game of hide-and-seek. To our modern ears, this place of the resurrection, this road between Jerusalem and Emmaus, can seem like the stuff of fantasy, sci-fi, or even a horror movie. I'm talking supernatural teleportation. As I was preparing this message, looking at the next place of the resurrection, because, you know, during a Lent and Holy Week, we were following Jesus on the places of the Passion, you know? I wanted to do the same for a while during Easter, following Jesus along the places of the resurrection. We started with the tomb on Easter Sunday. Then, according to John, last Sunday, we we followed Jesus to the locked room in Jerusalem where the disciples were hiding in fear. And if you stay with John's account, you go from there to the locked room again eight days later. Well, there's more stuff that happened in between. Can we go to Luke? Luke, however, goes from the tomb to the road to Emmaus on that same day, the same day as the resurrection. Now, the chronology doesn't... It, originally, to me, it didn't quite add up. You know, these are the kinds of things that keep me awake at night. I'm I'm sure they do for you too, right? You know, like something's not lining up here. If Jesus is on the road to Emmaus on the day he rose from the grave, seven miles from Jerusalem, and has an evening meal with these two guys in Emmaus, how does he get back to Jerusalem that same evening to visit the disciples in the locked room? That's seven miles on foot. On those roads, now, how many of you have been to Jerusalem? A few of you, right? And so you know that seven miles from Jerusalem in any direction is is not the easiest thing, right? Because you're uphill. So wherever you got to go, you got to go downhill. And then if you're going to go to Bethany or Bethpage or something, you're going to go back uphill, right? Uh, And it's not easy. So how much time did these guys have to get from place to place? It would have taken... You know, seven miles is at, at two, two and a half miles an hour walking. I don't know. I, I, I can't do the math. But something just is weird here. Here's how it works. I, I actually sat down and write, wrote this all out on a piece of paper to see how this works. Jesus is at the tomb on Easter morning. That very day, two disciples head to Emmaus. Now, it doesn't matter if it's that morning or the afternoon. And they encounter Jesus on the road. But they get there, they get to Emmaus in the evening. So what's the evening back in Judea 
in the year or whatever, 30, 33. Well, it could be 4 p.m., it could be 8 p.m. Whatever it was, Luke says the day was getting late. But he goes into the village with these guys and hangs out for a while, breaking bread with them and revealing himself to them. Now, so now this is not, probably not a five-minute scene here. If he's going to take the time to sit with them and break bread, this is probably going to take hours, right? A couple of hours at the most. Then he vanishes from their sight. Then he appears in the locked room back in Jerusalem with the other disciples. Now, I don't know about you, but I think it's possible that when he vanished in Emmaus, he reappeared in Jerusalem. Now, after reevaluating this, though, this morning after reading it, I'm thinking, now, wait a minute. Luke says that the two guys in Emmaus walked back to Jerusalem that night, and that's when they saw the disciples and Jesus appeared. So, supernatural teleportation, maybe, could Jesus have walked the seven miles before those other two guys and got there before them? I don't know. I'm more the supernatural teleportation theory, okay? <laughs> like I talked with the kids about this, superheroes do this all the time, right? So do aliens from other worlds in, in the movies, and ghosts and spirits in horror movies. Merlin the Magician could do this in the uh, Legend of King Arthur. Martin Luther would probably slap me upside the face and say, don't contemplate how Jesus did this, right? Because all you're going to do is end up confusing yourself and Madam Wiseacre and logic and is going is to tell you that it just doesn't add up. But we do have these two accounts from John and Luke. And they do seem to work together when you consider Jesus' divine nature especially. That he can appear in one place and reappear in another instantly because he can go anywhere he wants at any time. We already know this from other, other accounts in Scripture. It's one aspect of his hiddenness. It's not that the travelers on the highway to Emmaus were confronted with a case of mistaken identity. Their eyes were kept from recognizing Jesus. And it wasn't that Jesus was absent from them. No, he was right with them on the road. But they were prevented from recognizing him. So as the conversation goes, they tell him of their disappointment and their dead hope. Jesus interrupts, oh, foolish ones. So hard to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now, how, do you, how long do you think that conversation would have taken? Several hours, if that's how long it takes to walk seven miles from Jerusalem to this little place. They urge Jesus to stay with them, and he does for a while. He takes for himself the place of host. Now, we don't know which house they went to there, but Jesus assumes himself as the host because he breaks the bread, and he gives it to them, and their eyes were opened, and then they recognized him. They recognized that this was no stranger with them. He was none other than Jesus the same one who was crucified, the very one on whom their hopes were pinned, 
is now alive and in their midst. No phantom, no ghost, but Jesus. Yet within their eyes, or when their eyes were opened to see who it is who was with them, poof, he disappears from their sight. See, with the Lord's body, he can do as he wills with it. His body is not confined by geography or time, for it is the Lord's body. With his body's Locked doors are no barrier. Distance is no barrier. Time is no barrier. With his body, he need not stay put one place at a time. But where he puts himself, he puts himself for you. God does not invite you to search for him where he cannot be found. He doesn't ask you to search for him in the, in the cosmos or in the dark spaces of your own heart. You and I are tempted to ask over and over again, where is God then when there are so many people being murdered every day in this country? Where is God when so many people are destitute? Where is God when I'm suffering? Where is God when he promises to create a clean heart within me, yet I seem to keep on sinning? Raised from the dead, Jesus is free and loose to be wherever he puts himself for you. And you need not be in doubt as to where that is. The Lord hides himself from those men on the road to Emmaus so that he might reveal himself to them to show himself where and when it pleases him. And this is how Jesus chooses to be known by you. In his word. It's the scriptures that testify of him and his opening up of those scriptures so that he is preached as the very son of God who had to be handed over to evil men, crucified and resurrected for us. Imagine if the Bible was one of those locked books. You know those old locked books that have the the hasp or the clasp that comes over it and there's a, a, a key lock in there and you can't get it open? Or how about if the Bible was one of those uh, books, you, you open it up and there's a, a space in there, you know, for, for a gun or a chisel, you know, to sneak into a jail or prison, right? You open it up, no words, just emptiness. Well, God's word is not locked up from us, nor is it empty of words. You know, while we're on the subject of the, of the Reformation, there was a time when the, when the word of God was somehow, it was locked up for people. They couldn't hear it. They couldn't read it. And they couldn't hear it in their own language. We hear it. We read it. God reveals himself to us in it. The redemption that these Emmaus disciples had hoped for had indeed taken place. But it was far greater than what they could ever have imagined. Redemption took place not in some national liberation. It happened in the death of God's own Son who paid the price of our release, not with silver or gold, but with His own precious blood. It was necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into His glory. It was necessary for you and your salvation and mine. It has been done. It is finished. Christ was put to death 
for your trespasses and raised again for your justification. Yet even after his resurrection, the Lord Jesus hides his glory. He doesn't overwhelm the road-weary sojourners on the road to Emmaus with a blinding flash of dazzling sci-fi type light show. He comes to them as a stranger whose identity is concealed from their eyes at first. This stranger reveals himself in his words that interprets the scriptures concerning himself and the breaking of bread. What the Lord did for the Emmaus disciples, he does for you and me. Your eyes are kept from seeing him. There will come a day when we will see him. On that last day, the Lord Jesus will no longer be concealed from our view. Then all eyes will be upon him, either to their everlasting joy or to their eternal shame. Then we will behold him and not another. Just not yet. Now we recognize or to recognize Jesus now means that he vanishes from our sight. He hides himself so that we may learn to hear him, to trust him, for faith comes not by sight, but by hearing. Now we are not given to see him. I know that in the church we can see how he works. We can see him working amongst people in baptism, amongst good works for people, but faith comes by hearing. We are given to hear him. We hear him as he speaks to us in the preaching of his scriptures, his words that are spirit and life. You hear him in the words of absolution that declare, your sins are forgiven. You hear him not in that ordinary supper table at the road stop near Emmaus, but at this table, in this supper where he gives you his body and blood to drink for the forgiveness of your sins. Look, I don't want to die by gunshot wound or knife wound. I don't want to die from some dude coming down the wrong way on I-5. And I don't want COVID or any other disease. But I know and you know that our Redeemer lives so that we may live. And that gives peace and comfort in these times when you don't know if you should even leave your home. And most of us desperately want to because we've been indoors for far so long. But no matter what trouble or ills befall us, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. He's got you and me, and we've got him. And we have each other. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. Absolutely incredible. But he didn't vanish from their hearing, and he hasn't vanished from our hearing either. For faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. May we continue it. May you continue in hearing, receiving faith, and the revealing of our God to us forevermore. Amen.